0: This is Marketing Smarts, a podcast committed to helping you become a savvier marketing leader no matter your level. In each episode, we will dive into a relevant topic or challenge that marketing leaders are currently facing. We will also give you practical tools and applications that will help you put what you learn into practice today. And if you missed anything, don't worry. We put worksheets on our website that summarize the key points. Now, let's get to it. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido.
1: And I am April Martini.
0: And today we're going to go super tactical and talk about what makes a compelling LinkedIn presence. We've gotten this question a lot, especially in context of personal brand, right? Whenever we say personal brand, people's like, oh, you're going to help me with my LinkedIn profile. I'm like, yes, your personal (laughs) brand work will help you with your LinkedIn profiles. One way that your personal brand gets executed, but it's not the way or all the ways. But that is a very important piece. And the other reason why we want to talk about it is because we've seen LinkedIn becoming a very abused channel. It's still the premier place to go for connection, especially business connection, professional connection and networking. But there's some things that are happening on LinkedIn that aren't conducive to that networking that we're going to address. Because when done right, your LinkedIn presence can really be a huge way of helping you grow your credibility your reputation, and it's really great, again, for networking, for especially for the purposes of job hunting, recruiting, getting traction for call to actions, and just overall selling in general.
1: Yeah, and this is why it's so important to be intentional in creating your actual presence. So there are elements of style, sophistication, value, all of these things need to be considered in order to be successful on the platform. In addition, this is another place where you can't set it and forget it. You need to actively participate to get everything you can out of the platform itself.
0: That is right on. And with that, we'll get into four key elements and make a compelling LinkedIn presence. So the first one is think of the image blocks as advertising real estate in your about section as your elevator pitch. All right, so... This means your image in the banner at the top. Those are your two biggest visual real estate spots for images and, you know, pictures of you and, and that sort of thing. And there's a reason why this is so important is because this is the first impression people have of you. So the image of you should actually represent who you are. So it needs to be high quality. It needs to be authentic to you. It has to be natural. It should be recent, which <laughs> <That's laughs> a big one that we're seeing. And from a tone standpoint, it should feel approachable and inviting. It goes without saying that you should absolutely have an image. So a lot of people still don't have images up there. You cannot not have an image, you guys. I mean, you have to represent yourself. It's, it's really super critical in order for people to get a sense of who you are. Now, the one that many people disregard is the image at the top or the banner at the top, All right, This is prime real estate. If you don't put anything up there, it just defaults to some like random it's like a blue texture graphic. or whatever, yeah. right? This is like your billboard. And so this has to represent something that is really uniquely or should represent something that's really uniquely you related to your personal brand or your business. So think about this as like a billboard that you would see as you're driving down the highway. Just think about how telegraphic those billboards need to be in order to really capture attention, but how compelling they can be all at the same time. So this is what you really want to focus on. So if you're a sales folks, for example, they might use this to capture their pitch. They might even put some contact info up there. Those who sell products may include a product or a family shot. Those who sell services may include their tagline, their mission, or their offering. Just don't waste this space. I mean, we use it in order to promote marketing smarts. So that's a way that we are able to really bring attention to marketing smarts in case people don't go to the down deeper pieces of what we actually do. Now your bounce section, like we said, should be your elevator pitch on why someone should be interested in you and or your business. Now this is not a history of your company or you, okay? You have a place down below that allows you to put your resume per se Mm -hmm. and that can be used in order to really timeline all those things out. This should be more of like your brand story. It outlines your why, it outlines your purpose, it outlines the impact you wanna have on those you engage with. It really helps people understand The important brand questions that what make you you. So like what we say all the time, who am I? How am I different? Why do you want me? That should be represented in your elevator pitch, which is your about you section. Now, we get some questions from people who said, well, how much of that about me section should be about me or about my company? And really, it depends. So for entrepreneurs and startups, it's probably closer to 50-50 because for a long time, your business is you and yes. you are your business. So you're going to have kind of like, an little narrative that actually exemplifies both. And that's kind of what me and April have. Now, there's also like in the corporate sector where your company may speak for itself. Like I don't have to represent P&G. Everybody knew who P&G was. So then it became more 80-90 me and more like 10% a company. Now, Some people will use a company in order to increase their credibility, to increase their popularity. Do that if you need to do that. But remember that this is supposed to be about you, not what your company does or not just what your company represents.
1: Yeah, and if you're struggling with where to start, start with your personal brand We have lots and lots of episodes on how to think about that and made the reference point of when we mention this, sometimes people think, great, you're going to help me with my LinkedIn profile. It's the opposite way. So build your personal brand and it will help you to build your presence on LinkedIn. But I would just say that I think historically LinkedIn is a harder platform for people to quote unquote know what to do with in order to establish their style It's just easier on platforms like Facebook and Instagram, and then you have the personal versus professional aspect to layer in. Mm -hmm. When it feels like an extension of your marketing campaign, either for you or your company in the balance and just discussed, this can help provide the right lens or the clarity for you. And I would just reiterate making sure that all of these building blocks that Anne outlined and really gave kind of the map for how to go and create what should be there, all of that. Make sure that all of those are working really hard for you because there are a ton of people out there that are not leveraging one or in some cases all of these. And then their LinkedIn page or profile just goes completely unnoticed.
0: Yeah, agree. All right, the second element that makes a compelling LinkedIn presence is add value to the community, April.
1: Yeah, you can't be a lurker if you're going to have a compelling LinkedIn presence. Amen to that. You have to contribute to the community, and it has been designed to be a pseudo-meritocracy where those with the ideas and the clout gain the most attention. This can even be to the chagrin of the rest of us who are left scratching our heads wondering why are those people getting all of the attention that they're getting? Well, it's because they are intentionally creating community or participating in the community, which Mm -hmm. we'll talk a little bit more about that in the next point, so I won't go any further. There. But you can add value to the community in three primary ways. First of all, in thoughtful responses to other people's posts. This means liking and commenting. This is how you stay top of mind. You will get bonus points if you use your comments to reinforce your point of view. So I right. love this. A truly great example of brand creating emotional engagements with consumers. Put out something that continues the conversation and then, yes, reinforces how you would build on it, or a perspective that is valuable to continue that conversation. Curating content with comment. Many people just share articles or posts that they find interesting or insightful, but they don't say why. They find them interesting or insightful. And then it just becomes to the point about making your profile about you. Nothing's about you. Just about everybody else that you're sharing their content out there with any of your perspective there. This is one of those opportunities to express your point of view original content, write a blog or an article, do a video, share content you post through different channels. We share all of our podcast episodes here, typically with comments. Now I will say I did a little test and learn and started reposting to see how closely we were linked with forthright people. So you might see a little of just that repost for me, but it was with intention. Um, But that original content that pertains specifically to you and your company or your initiatives or just you if it's where you work somewhere corporate and it's more about your perspective as an individual versus where you work. We really suggest a combination of the three. A strategy and a content calendar will help you hold yourself accountable. It will also make it less daunting to add value to the community because you'll have your what to go and do and then when to go and do it. Also, posts should be concise and to the point. We've all seen the diatribes on Facebook and Instagram. That is not (laughs) what we were suggesting here. We don't even really always suggest it there either, but I digress. The post should be concise and to the point. And then also tag businesses and people. This is another place where we are left scratching our heads where people are just missing opportunities. This helps to show appreciation for them and how you're adding value for them, which they then may reciprocate, which then builds that community that we've been talking about. And it encourages them just overall to engage with you So I think if you think about this as the equivalent to liking and commenting on other channels and making sure that on top of it, you're adding your unique point of view, that becomes really a good place to start along with, like we said, having that calendar and really adding it to your calendar is, you know, another point of or your to do list or whatever to make sure that you're engaging regularly in the ways we just outlined.
0: Yeah, I think you brought up a lot, a lot, a lot of really good points. I'm going to hone in on a a few of these just to drive a sharper point on them. One is, and this kind of goes back to the intro when we're talking about all the benefits of LinkedIn, is to use LinkedIn for its benefits. So and that means you need to kind of abide a little bit by the rules of the platform if you want the platform to work hard for you. So for example, one of the things that you alluded to is that this is a professional network. The one thing that is starting to kind of cloud over, which people are kind of missing the point of a little bit, is by adding too many personal things. Yes. LinkedIn is not the place to say, oh, look where I went to with my kids this weekend. Or, oh, it's so-and-so's, you know, birthday who's my dad, my family member, whatnot. Those are for Facebook and Instagram. Professional posts are meant to drive credibility and reputation. So if you are going to put something out in LinkedIn, you should always be thinking about it through the lens of how is this going to build my credibility? How is this going to build my reputation? All right. So that's why you do all those things that April mentioned. When you repost, you repost with a little bit of insight into how you think or whatever that mantra that you're trying to preach, if you will, that you want people to adopt or associate with you, right? So you continue to reinforce those things by showing people that that's how you're thinking.
1: Or why did you repost this in the first place? Or why did you repost
0: in the first place? What is it? Why is it interesting to you? What's your original take on it, Right. Now, sometimes you do those things and you just comment because you want to stay top of mind with certain individuals. You want to just give them a congrats or, you know, this is really cool for you or I'm so happy for you. Those are totally fine Mm -hmm. as well, but they are part of the strategy. They're not the strategy, but it is a good way of saying, oh, that person, you know, recognized me and, and they still see me. And this might be somebody that you haven't talked to for a couple of years. I do this a lot with my Png colleagues. I don't talk to you very often, but I'm just like, hey, I'm I still very interested in what you got going on. I'm still behind you and supportive of you, and I don't want you to forget about me <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> yep. So I, I do that as well. And then the other thing that I want to really drive a point on is something else that you mentioned, April, which is about being a curator versus a creator. Mm-hmm. And this is where we see a lot happening too. If somebody goes to your LinkedIn post and all you have done is curate other people's content, repost other people's content. You've liked other people's content. That's all your your posts are. It starts to, people start to wonder, do you have a mind of your own? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Can you think for yourself? Like, what is your point of view? Why are you even here, right? So you have to have some creation in that. You have to have some element of being able to, again, express your POV, express something that's insightful for you or meaningful for your business, something that's going to help perpetuate your personal brand, whatever that happens to be. You need to create something that is uh, that allows you to have that onus and that ownership for your space on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, people see it as a very big way to just push Cold calling. Yes. Right. It's just there for you to lurk and to, and to push cold calling. So make sure your, your presence on there is meaningful. Yes. Does it take time? It does take time. It takes some thought. But once you start getting in the practice of it, you just carve out a little bit of time. Sometimes it's in the evening. I do it sometimes in the evening when I'm sitting there watching TV. Yep. I mean, I don't have anything else to do in the commercials if I'm actually watching real TV, especially <laughs> during sports season. And during the commercials, I'll just kind of thumb through LinkedIn and I will make a comment on somebody else's post. Or I will, you know, post something that we had for the day. And we actually have social media managers who actually do this on our behalf. Not everybody has that luxury. But make it an intentional part of your strategy.
1: Well, and on LinkedIn, we're resharing to our personal pages. Yes,
0: yeah, so and we're doing that too for our, yeah. our episodes, right? Yeah. yeah. And, that's a, and that's a very interesting thing too that you can do on LinkedIn, which is not always – okay to do on Facebook and Instagram is that if you have something going on in your business, it makes a ton of sense to repost on your personal page about what's going on in your business. Everybody expects you to do that, yep. right? So that helps the business. That helps you. It's a little, I mean, questionable. We don't always post everything on our personal pages for Facebook and Instagram because it's most it's meant to be more personal. Yeah. Unless there's something that you know we're really celebrating or a big achievement, then we might do that, right? Yeah. Or we're trying to cross-pollinate to some extent. But, um... I think that's a really good point.
1: Yeah, and I I think this is, I mean, I'll just put the fine point on the fact that this is why I think this is hard for people is because navigating what your professional persona is is hard, which is why we go back to personal brand. And I think if you start there and then you think really with intention about how you want to show up through your personal brand in your professional tone, that's where you can start to express your point of view, think about what that content is, et cetera. Because I do agree those pages where people are just reposting, it's like you go and you're like, are you a robot? I don't don't have any connection with you as a human being whatsoever, which I think can be one of the pitfalls.
0: Yeah, especially if you're trying to sell business. Yes. Right? Because that's how somebody's going to vet you. They're going to go to your LinkedIn page and they're going to look to see what you've done and what you've done lately.
1: Mm -hmm. And are you a person? You're a
0: person. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Yes.
1: Marketing Smarts is sponsored by scottmaltz.com scottmautz.com Scott Mautz is a popular keynote speaker and number one best-selling author whose latest book and talk, Leading from the Middle, helps middle managers dramatically increase their influence up, down, and across their organization. Want your company's middle managers and leaders equipped to foster a high-performing organization? Want them inspired to drive the change and transformation that's a challenging necessity moving forward? Then go to scottmounts.com to check out Leading from the Middle and all of Scott's keynotes, trainings, courses, and books. On a personal note, Marketing Smarts has worked with Scott as our business coach and found our own successful results, so we highly endorse him.
0: All right. The third element that makes a compelling LinkedIn presence is to be intentional in creating your community. And we just, like I said, talked about this a little bit about adding value to your community, but now this one is really focused on creating your community and curating that community that's going to best benefit you. Now, the biggest thing we can say here is just don't connect with randoms to boost your numbers. This is a big, big no-no. They will drag down the algorithm and it will make it very hard for your content to be seen. It's the same thing that Meta does with Facebook and Instagram. What you want to do is you want to connect with others you feel will benefit from your presence or that you'll benefit from theirs. There also may be some communities that they may have that you want to tap into. Yep. So it's being very strategic and curating your own community. So watch for those who are just trying to connect with you to sell their services. This has become the big issue. This is the cold calling issue or cold emailing issue or virtual door knocking, I think, is what I heard the other day. (laughs) Whatever. We have all kinds of terms and ways of expressing this. So you can generally identify who these people are through their generic message that they send, because if you don't know, you can actually invite somebody or link in with somebody by using a message with a limited amount of characters, if you just kind of go and you you click on the little three little dots. So that's what they'll do to you, right? Or they might have LinkedIn premium where they can just direct mail you no matter what. But they'll generally say things like, oh, we generate 100 leads a day or <laughs> saw your profile or wanted to connect or, you know, you seem like somebody that, we, you know, I should know or we have a lot of people in common or- Or you, you know, show
1: like, up in my, you keep showing up as someone feed. I should know. Yeah, yeah.
0: All those sorts of things. Now, I will be honest. And I will say if somebody, regardless of if they're from the Cincinnati area, I let them in. I know I'm getting cold called anyway, and I kind of just like grit and bear it through the whole thing. But I'm like, I feel an affinity to the local area, and I, I, I'll I do it. Now, there is a couple of things you can do to control this a little bit. So you can transition your platform so that anyone can follow. So that's what I have for my own personal LinkedIn, and I believe April has for hers too. So this helps you build your numbers because it allows people to follow your page without having to be connected with them or allow them like free access to you to connect with you. So that can help build your numbers. I suggest you guys do that. Now, if you're a business and you set up your page, it automatically does that. If you have your personal page, you have to go in and you have to make that happen for you in the settings. Now, once you do this and you have this page set up, you need to be able to then create that value. Like we said, you don't want people to kind of follow you and then you're not creating any value for them. So make sure that you're continuing to fill that pipeline with value so that people want to continue to come back to your page. It's not just about generating numbers. But it is nice to have then that ambassadorship of people who are willing to go and to, to speak on your behalf and maybe share your content. Now, if people aren't engaging with you, even after you're doing all this stuff, um, we get this question a lot. It's like, what do I do? First ask, do I need someone to engage or are they engaged with numbers just to satisfy my ego? All right. So we have our podcast, like April said, we put our podcast posts out there all the time. Sometimes we get people to engage with them. Sometimes we don't. But that's not really the intent for putting them on LinkedIn. The attempt for putting them on LinkedIn, one, is to, again, generate that credibility and reputation that we are creating a body of work. It's also to let people know that we actually have another episode that's in the can. So we want them to come listen to our episodes. So the posts are meant to attract people to come and listen to the episode. The next thing is that you can test and learn with your content. So play with engagement mechanisms like surveys or call to actions or offers. I see... Some people do this really well, especially if they're trying to mine for some insight that they're going to use for something. That tends to have better reaction than people who are just putting stuff out there just to kind of see. So you can try those and see how those work for you. Like we said, you can engage with other people's content, and that usually encourages them to engage with yours. Again, it puts you top of mind again for them, and they're like, "Oh, I I do wonder what Anne's going, you know, what she's doing." And then I tend to see if I've engaged with somebody else's content, they're pretty quick to engage with mine to follow it's a currency suit. it's a currency right um as april mentioned tag others in your post encourage them to notice engage and share this is a big one that allows people to see and show up in their feed that hey somebody actually has tagged me and so therefore i'm more interested in going to see what they had to say about me now for super important posts and i stress you can't overuse this you can ask your <laughs> friends to engage right you can stage it a little bit This is only for, again, exposure for super critical things. A lot of businesses do this. Like, hey, we're putting this out. Everybody go like it. Everybody go share it, okay? But unlike Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, you can not boost posts on LinkedIn, but you can do pay posts. So it tends to be more expensive, but for certain high-priority posts, you might want to do that as well. April, what do you have to say about this?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it really is so, so important. Again, I I go back to the idea, if you could keep it in your head, of... This is a billboard approach to getting your message out there, and that idea of making it part of your marketing campaign, I still really like that because I think that's the right lens to think about this through, and so then all these points kind of fall under a quote-unquote vetting strategy, right? Or am I doing it the right way sort of strategy? I also think you need to get clear on what you're trying to achieve through the lens of this channel so that then when you're creating your community or engaging and providing value to the community, you're clear in your head about why you're doing it and what this channel is serving for you in that bigger marketing approach. The other thing that I want to emphasize too about the random boost in your numbers, which this is kind of funny because when LinkedIn first came out, I'm going to just shamelessly admit that my sister and I had a competition to see who could get to 500 connections first So don't – (laughs) don't. that's the martini competitiveness. And when I saw this episode, I had to chuckle at that point. But now, knowing what I know about LinkedIn and how it has evolved, I really am also a bit of a bulldog about this. I won't connect with people that I don't know, especially when I do see that sales pitch coming. The only caveat, and I have one like Anne to it, is if it actually piques my interest. Like if it's something where I'm like, oh – that was an interesting way to put that. Or, you know, like that kind of stuff where my brain's always kind of working for if the person's working hard enough, will yeah. I let them in? That is one of my my criteria. I do think because I have so much frustration and sometimes aggression around the sales pitch associated with LinkedIn, it's probably part for their own protection. Um, <laughs> but I do think that the overabundance of sales pitches has probably made me even more cautious about who I agree to connect with. So sometimes even if they have people in common and that sort of thing, I'm even vetting to that level. Yeah, I mean, I had someone recently who we had 26 people in common, but they're not really people that I necessarily stay connected with. And then I kind of looked and saw that they were recently on their own. And I was like, "I, I can't, you know, like this isn't a reason to do it. So in any case, all of that to say, the platform itself has matured in a lot of ways back from when it was just a game to get <laughs> lots and lots of connections. But I do think that you want the people that you want seeing your stuff to see it and that in and of itself builds community. So you want to do whatever you can for the algorithm to make sure that you're doing you, your part so that it will work in favor for you.
0: Yeah, I think that's really, really good point. And I think the the closing point I'll, I'll put on that one is that I mean, you know, like Jordan Harbinger, and he says, like, once you're thirsty, it's too late to build the well. Yep. I think it's something to, like, to that effect. And I think that's what your LinkedIn network does for you. And we've talked about this a lot when you're cold reaching out uh-huh. to some extent, too, and how that can be jarring for people. And it doesn't really you – know, it's not really conducive to the networking process. Being active on LinkedIn and being, making sure that you're engaging in a way that is just – in good this good spirit of engaging without actually wanting something helps to build that well so that when you are thirsty, when you do need something, you feel comfortable going back to that person and asking for something in reciprocity so that is an expectation currency for LinkedIn as well and I did forget to mention too when you do build your following, this is a little bit of a tactical thing um and you and you have the followers' portion, either if it's your business page or on your personal page set up. You can invite people, especially on your business page, you can invite oh, yeah. people to yeah. actually like your page. You get so many free likes or invitations to like your page. That is a way that we have built our business page. Now, it's from your own personal, basically, contacts. Yes. It's where it draws it from. But it is a good way to to build, start building those numbers from people that you actually want to curate mm-hmm. to support something that's important to you. Without it being like a mass, like, gosh, I'm just going to like everybody's stuff so they like everything, you know, back for me. Or like everybody's random pages so they like everything back for me. So just a little strategic tactical point for that. All right. So the fourth key element that makes a compelling LinkedIn presence is tone. Tone should be generally positive and optimistic. April.
1: I love this one because I hate rants. (laughs) Um, yes. So joking aside, for better or worse, this is the tone of LinkedIn. If you don't believe us, just go and do your own audit. Scroll through feeds, check out posts. 9 out of 10, if not 10 out of 10, will be more positive, optimistic, celebratory in nature. I actually have seen a blurring of personal here in a way that I think works sometimes and doesn't in other times. Like Today, there was someone that had worked with Michigan State University that posted about the shooting last night and gave a kind of a really enjoyed working with these guys, really sorry to see this. So it sort of like blended. You know, he gave his personal perspective on a current event, but was a more emotional leaning. But it's still in my mind fit because it was from that professional. I have a professional connection to what happened here. So in any case. The only way that people can really get away with the other side of being more controversial or dissenting in tone is to be insightful. Right. And so this is really exerting, again, your point of view, but through an intelligent, professional tone, right? This is really, really hard to do. And this is like, to me, this is personal brand on steroids. You have to have a really strong personal brand And be known very well for something, I think, before you can even begin to go here. So that is my caution. Um, The models we look at are Ray Dalio and Gary Vee, but even their more controversial stuff you can check out. It'll be on other channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, other places where that is more appropriate to poke the bear. Again, though, they both have a professional presence or a more professional leaning presence on LinkedIn. Though personal posts might get you more engagement, it can be deceiving because it's not going to drive that professional credibility. So going back to that example I gave, it still felt professional in nature versus something that was just my heart goes out to this situation that happened. There isn't a reason to post that on LinkedIn. Just remember, in addition to it being professional, it is the more polite channel lean into that positivity, the optimism, being celebratory. And at the end of the day, remember, it is a business platform. So please err on that side and use it accordingly.
0: Yeah, those are all really good points. And I'll just build because, of course, I'm reading the Adam Grant book.
1: (laughs) Of course you are. Which one is it this time? This is Originals, right? Oh, yeah, I read Originals. I love
0: Originals. And I just read something, and I think this really applies here, which is – People are punished for trying to exercise power without status, uh, right? And I yeah. think, you know, the reason why, like, a Ray Dalio or a Gary V can have those descending opinions where they can have a little bit of snarkiness, where they can behave like that in this platform or any of their platforms, frankly, is because they have earned status that yeah. allows them to kind of, like, rock the boat a little bit yep. or kind of balk a convention if you're trying to do that without actually building status or a reputation that you are insightful enough to offer that, that people appreciate, it is going to land like a ton of bricks. And those are the Uh people that end up coming off as being a little like downers or like pessimists Mm -hmm. or, you know, and 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 you don't get that reputation that you're looking for, for being like very astute, or very much like going against the grain, or revolutionary, whatever you want to be known for, which are the you know the positive <laughs> characteristics. So just that's why the the tone is so 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 important. So really watch that before you actually post anything on LinkedIn or any of your channels, frankly, but specifically on LinkedIn, which is meant to represent your professional self.
1: Yeah, I think that's that m- was a much better way of saying what I was saying about <laughs> Ray and and Gary, but it is about having the clout yes I think it goes with the status as you were talking that's what I was thinking of like you have the platform and you have the credibility so you can speak to that and also they're consistent in the way that they speak
0: they are they're very consistent so, you know what you're gonna you know yeah you know get like you tap you in if them. you
1: want them because you know who they are yeah
0: but it's very hard to be- build a reputation based on that yes. you have to build the credibility first then you then can you can have yeah do that. that's a very good point yeah so according to Adam Grant <laughs>
1: <laughs> Everything according to Adam Grant lately.
0: Yeah, um, I love him. Okay, so our final segment is where we highlight companies or brands that may or may not be using their marketing smarts it may or may not have anything to do with this episode. And, you know, I try to connect them, but I'm not exactly sure I can do that with this
1: one. Uh, if you do this, I will not believe it.
0: Yeah, it'll be too much of a stretch, but you never know. Something might pop in my head. This is a
1: more tactical one.
0: It is definitely a more tactical one, but it's a very relevant one, especially at this time of the year. Yeah. Right. Especially for you moms and dads out there who are watching your, especially your daughters, trying to find dresses for homecomings, proms coming up.
1: Really? I don't think I'm not in this age group. I forget.
0: Yeah. So they just have winter homecoming.
1: Oh, right. Yeah. yeah so, yeah, Chris yeah. had winter prom yeah, coming yeah. last yeah.
0: weekend, weekend before, right? And now, yeah. you know, prompts coming up. Yeah, yeah. And the biggest okay, question anyway. is the dress, right? Mm-hmm. You got to find the dress. And finding a dress, if you've ever been shopping or finding anything with your teenage daughters, especially in the shopping area, it, it is frustrating at best. And it is, like, horrendously, like, gut-wrenching at worst, right? Because... You just never know what they're going to like. You try to help, and it's just not the right thing. And <laughs> so I say all this because I have fallen in love, and I am very, very thankful for now these like boutique online uh, shops that basically cater to these dresses. Mm-hmm. Right? Lulu's is one of our favorites. We Angela used that one a lot, but a new one that just popped up is called Windsor. And cringe. Used Windsor for uh, her homecoming dresses, and she bought two. And she was gonna see which one she liked, right? So they arrived. Now, honestly, I mean, are these the best construction? No. Are they gonna wear them once? Yes. So they have to be the best construction. No, they just have to actually last. Okay.
1: Just one night. I just mean, yeah.
0: Basically one night. So they're they're and actually they're priced accordingly. These dresses are like fifty bucks. I'm like for one night, fifty bucks. We can make that work. Okay. Now. The dresses are also very stylish. I think they're very cute. They're very appropriate for that age group. Are they very appropriate dresses? No. When I showed the picture of Corinne to my mom, she goes, "She needs a sweatshirt and sweatpants." <laughs> 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 and I was like, "Yeah." And so then my mom offered to make her the next dress. I'm like, "Yeah, no, that's um, not gonna. That's gonna probably go well. not gonna work." All that to be said, the reason why I'm giving kind of this this hat tip to Windsor in this is uh, the return policy that they have which is a you can return in store now a lot of the
1: oh they have brick and mortar stores they have one in Kenwood mall now oh interesting yeah so
0: lulu's i mean not they have one there's not one around us but windsor Uh is actually in the mall huh and it's a very super easy return policy now it's a very limited window for when you can return understandably so to avoid everybody buying these dresses and returning them but they do encourage you to actually get multiples, try them on, mm-hmm. and then return them. And versus like feeling like you have to make that selection at that moment, pick the one, it shows up, and if anybody, I guess that, knows a teenage daughter, has a teenage daughter, knows if it doesn't fit just right, if it's not Instagram-worthy, it's a total disaster, right? So when we had to go return the one dress, I mean, it's basically you go to the return, it's a few clicks, they give you a QR code, you take the dress, you take the QR code, they scan the QR code, they go... Thanks for the dress. It'll go back on your credit card that you bought it on. It's done in less than 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. Even Krim was like, wow, that's easy. I'm like, yeah, you could have done it yourself. So even like a teenager could actually go and return their own clothing, which is kind of nice. So I say all that because if you are, whatever business you're at, and this is the Marketing Smarts, I feel like they really leverage it. Whatever business you're at, make the risk low to try your product, right? And in order to make your risk low, you have to figure out what is the thing that's stopping people from actually trying you. In this case, it would be, is it going to be a pain in the butt to return? Lulu's is still not a pain in the butt to return. You just, they give you a UPS label, label and you go and you drop it off at the UPS store. But I still have to go to the UPS store and stuff like that. It's just nice that it's, it's a brick and mortar store. Make it easy for the people to return because then you have an opportunity to... Really differentiate from your competition and showcase a customer service that is really going to separate you from other people in this realm because, seriously, all these dresses are basically like the same. I mean, it's not like it's anything special here. So I can't link it to LinkedIn. That's okay. I
1: tried. Like, well, but I think that the interesting part here is about the return piece because I think there's a lot of. These sites that are trying to lean into, quote unquote, more disposable fashion side of things in this market of like the more one off high end, you know, dress mm-hmm. specific. So, you know, I don't even remember the site we used, but we're not using it for my second sister's wedding because for my first sister, they pose it almost as though you should order a bunch but then if you do, they'll write you and say, well, we make each one to order and, you you know, they make the return really hard. And you're like, but we're trying to decide and there's no store yeah. which style we want to wear. And to your point, I mean, we're not teenage girls anymore. We have other concerns maybe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we – there's no try on process, right. right? And even if you do the measurements and whatever, the sizing isn't always accurate. So, I think on that side and you know, we're running up and this this new site looks like it's going to be better, but a lot of what you just said are the pain points of these experiences where you want to go the more cost-effective route. You're not going to wear these multiple times. All of that is spot on, but you also want to get something that's going to be wearable when it shows up.
0: Yeah, so I think like the moral of all this is no matter what business you are, how do you get your consumer customer client to try you on yeah right or figuratively yeah yeah how do you make it a low risk opportunity for them to try you on
1: yes right yep absolutely and if they don't like you to return Return whatever they tried
0: yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right so just to recap four key elements that make a compelling linkedin presence think of the image blocks as advertising real estate in your about section as your elevator pitch this is how people capture your personal brand make sure you cultivate it wisely. Second is add value to the community. You cannot be a lurker if you're going to have a compelling LinkedIn presence. You must contribute to the community. Third, be intentional in creating your community. Don't just connect with randoms to boost your numbers. Connect with others you feel will benefit from your presence or that you'll benefit from theirs. Also, who may have a community that you may want to tap into. And finally, tone should be generally positive and optimistic. For better or worse, this is the tone of LinkedIn. And with that, we'll say go and exercise your marketing smarts.
1: Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com. We can help you become a savvier marketer through coaching or training you and your team or doing the work on your behalf. Please also help us grow the podcast by rating and reviewing on your player of choice and sharing with at least one person. Now, go show off your marketing smarts.